predestined. In other words, everyone's invited, but only those who are invited are, uh, and come are the ones that are going to be saved. So we love in this church to put out what's called the free grace of God to the free will of man. So all the grace of God goes to all men and all men can choose. And then based on that choice, they go to heaven or hell. Now, does God know the end from the beginning? Does he know who does go to heaven or hell? Absolutely. God already sees judgment day as something done. We're looking forward to the future. God looks back at the future. Think about that for a second. He looks back at the future. He already knows the future. Let that fry your noodle this morning, okay? But listen, that does not mean that God influences our choices. I can look back on a game from 1970. Did that mean because I know how the game ends, I influence the choices of those in the game? No, I'm watching the game play out. I know the ending of the game. If I watch that game a lot, I can know all the different plays. But each person in those moments was choosing their own a way of living. I know the outcome. I know the whole story, but that doesn't mean I changed their choices or manipulated them. God knows the outcome of your choice and my choice, and you better take that serious because you won't go to hell on judgment day and say it's because God sent me there. That would be an argument against the Calvinists. They would have to say, yeah, that's the way it's going to be. It is God's fault why people go to hell, and it's called a theodicy and puts God in the place of being almost worse than the devil because the devil even goes to hell in the end too, right? So who's the one sending everybody to hell? It's actually God. See, the Christian who believes like us, we have a defense for the love of God, the character of God that say, no, he's not worse than the devil. God gives us the choice, and then based on our choice, he responds and gives us a consequence. Amen? Now, here's where they go, because it says in verse 37, all those the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me, I will never drive away. So that's where they go. See, it's the Father who's doing that. But how many of you are Christians today? Can I see your hand, hand raised? How many of you did the Father bring you to Jesus? Amen. So we don't have to be a Calvinist to agree with that. Once again, everybody get this. Everyone's invited, but it's only those who come are at the party. So we can still say the Father has given an invitation to everyone, but it's only those who come that the Father gives to Jesus. So does this sentence limit the Father's invitation? No, it just says all the Father gives me. So in this context, who and I have a link here for you, who do we believe that the Father is giving Jesus? The righteous Jews of that day like the ones who have been waiting for the Messiah. All the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I'll never drive away. Verse 38, for I have come down from heaven not to do my will, but to do the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, talking about the Father, that I shall lose none of those he has given me, but raise them up on the last day. For my Father's will is that everyone who does what? Looks to the Son, highlight that please, and does what? Believes in him, thank you, shall have eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. Highlight those two points there. Looks to the Son and believes in him. Highlight them so everyone can see. Do you understand? The Father has sent out an invitation to everyone. But who is the one that he is saving? The one who actually responds and looks to the Son. The one then who believes. Does everybody see that? I need you to see that. It doesn't say he only saves those he chooses. It says he saves those who look to the Son. Now, how many people get the chance to look to the Son? Go with me to John chapter 12. Jesus said in John chapter 12, When I be lifted up, I will draw all people unto myself. How many have heard that scripture before? Same book, same author. 
Jesus said it very clearly that everyone will have a chance to look to the Son. Look at John chapter 12. And I want to show you the context here. Thank you, sir. Verse 32. It's in one of my notes. Look at verse 32. And I, Jesus speaking, when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw how many people? Just the elect? Does it say the elect? Just the ones I've chosen? No, it says all people to myself. Now you know why my friend's meme is funny. Because every time the Calvinist reads that, he says all is elect. God so loved the world means elect. God so loved the elect, the ones he pre-chose. God only draws those he elect. That's not what it says. So going back to our notes, please, in John chapter 6, all the world has a chance to look to Jesus. So if you were to ask me, what about people who have never heard about Jesus? I would ask you, do you know their dreams? Do you know their culture? How do you not know God hasn't already spoken to them? Because I believe he does. Acts 17, he reaches out to all people that they will reach out to him. I believe on judgment day, every lost tribe, every lost people group, every generation of human that's ever been on this earth will have an account of the light that they had a knowledge of when it came to God. The Bible says in him was life. That's John chapter 1. And in that life was the light of how much of mankind? All mankind. Just the elect of mankind had a spark go on and say, hey, I want Jesus today. I'm being drawn. No, all mankind. If you are a mankind or a human, you have a light, a spark of Christ speaking to you through your conscience. No one goes to hell without God's light and them rejecting it. And so we will go to heaven and see how great God was to speak to peoples and times and generations. And I've mentioned to you a book, Eternity in Their Heart, that you can read on that. Now look at this. It's my Father's will, Jesus said, that everyone who looks to the Son and believes in him shall have eternal life, and I will raise them up at the last day. Verse 41, at this, the Jews, those are the ones in the crowd, began to grumble about him because he said, I am the bread of life that came down from heaven. They said, is this not Jesus? Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know, how can he now say, I came down from heaven? They're missing the incarnation, are they not? They're missing that even though his body was born at the time we would celebrate Christmas, his spirit, his nature pre-existed. See, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God. See, before he took on flesh, he was with the Father. He was there when the angels were created. He was there when the universe was created. He was there when the Big Bang happened. You know I believe in the Big Bang, right? God said it, bang, it happened. Come on, somebody, put me in the science class. Amen. <laughs> So we believe that Jesus preexisted. They didn't understand that. And I wish right now I could show you all the scriptures that taught them, not just new knowledge here with Jesus, but taught them in the Old Testament. Like if you remember in Micah, the prophecy that is quoted in Matthew, that from out of Bethlehem comes a ruler. It says, his going forth are from eternity. Keep reading the quote that Matthew has there in Micah. It's beautiful. Even uh, John the Baptist said, I came to prepare the way of the Lord. John the Baptist understood he was preparing the way of Yahweh to come onto earth. Yahweh who had been with them in the old times in the Old Testament. And then Jesus will go on in this book to begin to say the I am statements. The Greek ego, I, me, that correspond to the Old Testament. I am that I am. Jesus will say in this book, he will say before Abraham was, I am. He will declare the divine name of God over his nature. Amen. 
So they don't get that. They're grumbling. And what does he do? Verse 43, he rebukes them. That's literally what a rebuke means. It means to stop. Stop grumbling among yourselves, Jesus answered. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws them, and I will raise them up at the last day. Once again, does it say he only draws the elect? No, we already agree that every person who is a Christian was drawn by the Father. Where we disagree with the Calvinists is that the Father is only drawing a certain few. We believe the Father, as we've seen with Jesus, as he is lifted up, will draw all people to himself. But then what, what must they do? They must look to the Son. They must believe in the Son. Right? So if I give all of you an invitation, it would be like me saying, no one can come to the party unless they were given an invitation. Now, does that tell you that I limited the invitation? No, it just tells you you can't come unless you get an invitation. And if I was somebody that could send an invite to everybody in the whole world, that still is the same thing. You can't come without an invitation. That's all Jesus is saying. You can't come unless the Father draws, me, uh, draws you. Why is that so important? It's because they thought he, Jesus, was blaspheming the Father. And he's explaining to them, I'm not blaspheming the Father. If you were down with the Father, you'd be getting drawn to me like the person on the dance floor who threw you out a hook and you came in. You know, Because the Father is throwing out his hook to the whole world. Right? Are you guys tracking with me? Because that's what Jesus is saying. I don't want to, I, I mean, I love theologians and I'm one too, but I don't care what theologians said. It's clear what Jesus is saying here. No one can come unless the Father who sent me draws them. Who is he drawing? He's drawing everybody now that Christ has been lifted up. He says, I will raise them up on the last day. And I got all of those references there for you. We've been through those already. Somebody say, this is review. We haven't even got to the new stuff yet, okay? I'm, I'm chugga, chugga, choo, choo, and along. We're going to get to the new stuff, and we're going to finish it in Jesus' name. Amen? I just sense in the Lord I can do this. It is written in the prophets, they will all be taught by God. How are all taught by God? Just the elect taught by God? No, everyone is taught by God, by the light of Christ. Haven't we just learned that? He's quoting that to teach them. Everyone, all will be taught by God. Do you think, come on somebody, do you think God created people to live where they lived in unreached people groups simply to grow up, live their whole life, die, and then go to hell because they were not chosen? That doesn't make any sense. Whenever we go to those people groups, as that book I mentioned it, uh, talks about, Eternity in Their Heart, it's stories of missionaries. When we go there, we find people who are monotheists, worshiping one God. We find people that rejected worshiping ancestors or objects or trees or false gods. We find the stories among their people about dreams and visions of the Son of God coming and bringing them redemption. We find, and by the way, this is when it works in our benefit, comparative religious practices that the Jews had, and how would they know if they're so disconnected from the Jews? In Aztec empires and different times in China, there were people groups in those larger groups who worshiped God like the Jewish people did. Why? Because God was giving them light. Now, let's not take this to the next level and say that the Native Americans are the lost tribes of, of, of uh, Israel and that the Book of Mormon fills in all the blanks. Let's not get carried away. Okay, let's not get carried away here, but let's just understand 
our God is big enough to care about people who have not yet met a missionary, right? And that's all we are saying. We are saying that everyone gets taught by God. Matter of fact, let's just go there. Acts 17. Help me, Jesus. I'm looking at the clock. I still got time. I can take one. I can... I could take one detour and still do this in Jesus' name. Maybe not two detours, but I can do one at least. Here we go. Go to Acts 17. Go to verse 24. This is Paul, and he is very clear on how God looks at all the nations. Look at this, verse 24 of Acts 17. The God who made the world and everything in it is the Lord of heaven and earth and does not live in temples made by human hands. We know that's the Jesus of the Bible. That's the Lord that we worship. That's why he said you have to confess Jesus is Lord. So he's talking about Jesus. Keep going here. And he is not served by human hands as if he needed anything. Rather, he himself gives everyone life. Remember John 1.1 1, 1 in that passage there it says, in him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. So he gives everyone life and breath and everything else. From one man he made all the nations that they should inhabit the whole earth and he marked out their appointed times in history and the boundaries of their lands. Now watch this, verse 27. Please highlight it, brother, all the way to verse 28, those two verses. God did this so that they would seek him and perhaps reach out for him. Oh, God did this only so the elect would be saved? No, no, no. God did this for everybody so that they would seek him. No matter who they are, if they're a human, they have a conscience. Don't let people tell you that undeveloped peoples are stupid. They're not dumb. They're just as smart as you and I. Do you understand? Don't you think they would know how to wake up in the morning and go, that's a pretty big sun up there. We didn't make that. I worship the God who made that. I mean, so don't think to them, well, idolatry would be just natural because they're primitive. That doesn't even make sense. Primitive people didn't exist without intelligence. They are, they built the pyramids. Have you done that lately? Okay. So I just want to just make sure we don't fall into this lie that we came from the goo through the zoo to you, where they keep saying man was dumb and got smarter and smarter. The Bible's actually the opposite, that we used to live a thousand years and have gotten redonkulous over time. At least back then they knew who a boy and a girl was. Come on, somebody. At least they knew back then how to make babies. Okay? At least back then they didn't kill their own babies until they became idol worshipers and then burned them to demons. Sound familiar? So God did this that they would seek him, perhaps reach out for him and find him. That was always the purpose. God wants everybody to find him. Now look at this. Though he is not far from just the elect, just the one God predestines. No, though he is not far from any one of us. Now, this is where I blow up my Calvinist friend who always likes to insert the word elect there because it couldn't get more clear than this. In him, we live and move. Even according to them, are non-elect people still living and moving today? Yeah, so the Bible's clear. This covers everybody. For in him, we live and move and have our being. If you are a being, it's because he be. You get to be because God be. You, you with me? Come on, I be because he be. For in him we live and move and have our being as some of your own poets have said. Now he's going to quote a pagan that had at least this much truth. Okay, even as your own poets have said, we are his offspring. Going back to the notes, please. So it is true in one sense, we are the children of God, all of us, in the sense of creation. We are not the children of God in relationship. 
So when somebody says, we're all children of God, well, what do you mean by that? If you mean we are his offspring, we are his creation, the Bible affirms that. We are all the creation of God. Through Adam and Eve, one race, the human race. But if you mean we're all the children of God in relationship, you're wrong. The Bible says there are some that are children of light and some that are children of darkness. There are some that are children of God, some that are children of the devil. So the Bible's clear, verse 45, it is written in the prophets. Can we highlight this and say it together? One, two. Two, three, they will all be taught by God. End of the discussion. No one's going to hell without their choice, period. Now, everyone who has heard the Father and learned from him comes to me. So now who is he talking to specifically? He's not like Paul talking to pagans who only have a vague idea of what's going on. He's talking now specifically to Jews who have bore the covenant of God, the God of Israel. And he's saying, guys, the reason why some of you like Nicodemus are coming and others of you want to kill me, it's because those who have been taught by God, you've heard the Father and learned from him him. Highlight that, please. You've learned from him. That's who comes to me. So you could have the Bible and not be learning from the author. Hello, as I said before, you can have the book, but not the author. It's good to have both. They had the book, but they didn't have the author's heart. And what Jesus is saying is that's why you're missing me. There's no tricks here. There wasn't anything in the Old Testament, though it was a mystery, there wasn't anything in the mystery of the Old Testament that they were supposed to miss. You know what it was kind of like, ladies? It was like a lifetime mystery. You all ever watch those lifetime mysteries? I've tried to watch them with my wife, and I figure them out in two seconds. But my wife's holding on the whole time. Who is it? And I'm like, oh, I know how this Lifetime movie is going to end. This, it's going to be this, this. And then you just, you just see it coming a mile away. I get my wife to watch the real kind of mysteries, and then she's scared. She's hiding under covers. She can't sleep at night. Seriously, she said, that kept me up, and I couldn't go back to sleep. Let's go back to the Lifetime ones. Let's, let's go back to those mysteries, you know, where you can pretty much see what's happening, fellas. Are you guys with me? Some of you sisters are quick on it, too. But that's what it was like. The Old Testament mystery, it was deep. It, it had some unique thoughts to it you wouldn't have maybe came up with on your own. But if you would have spent some time reading it, you would have understood what was happening there. There was another person, the son, who looks like the son of man, who's always by the father. And he comes as an angel, as a messenger, and we worship him as the father. You would have seen that from Genesis. You would have seen that from Moses. There's a Yahweh, a Lord he cannot see, but there's one he talks to face to face as a friend. How many know that's pretty obvious? There's two people there. And then there's the raining down of hellfire on Sodom and Gomorrah. There's the Lord he's hanging out with. And then there's the Lord who is up in heaven who rains it down from the Lord on earth based on the sun praying. And then Proverbs talks about the sun. Do you know the creator of the universe? Do you know his son? And do you know his name? The book of Proverbs asks. And so they should have understood this. So when Jesus was there, it wasn't, I know we have compassion for the Jews, but it wasn't like it was so hard, like, oh, all oh, these poor Jews, Dito, I feel so bad for you. You want to kill Jesus? No, it's like they should have known better. Now, the Bible says they know not what they do. In other words, they were deceived. They didn't know how bad they were actually acting, but they should have known better. The Bible was written about Jesus. It was giving them revelation. And anyone who was reading that, 
they were ready. Remember the woman at the temple that she's baby Jesus? She's checked in immediately. I mean, talk about faith. She understood just what was going on there. What about those wise men? As we've talked about before during Christmas time, those wise men more than likely came from the heritage of Daniel in Babylon and knew to be ready for that 400-year prophecy to come to pass in their lifetime. And they knew that the Messiah was going to be more than just a man. Though he would look like a man, he would be worshipped as God. Come on, can I hear an amen? Amen. Thank you. So the Bible's clear. Jesus is telling them, everyone who's heard the Father and learned from him comes to me. But now he's clear. You can hear the Father, but you can't see him. It says in verse 46, no one has seen the Father except the one who is from God. Only he has seen the Father. And remember, I talked about where were these saints, like even Elijah, who went up uh, in a chariot of fire. Where were they? They were in Abraham's bosom. They had not yet been allowed to be around the throne of the Father, even to this time. The only time that that changed is after Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection. It says in Ephesians, he led captive, he led the captivity captive and brought them to heaven, and then he gave gifts to men. So heaven was opened up because of the blood of Jesus, and then from post-resurrection, we go directly to heaven. Paradise was never purgatory. Don't get it twisted. How many are going right to heaven after this? No, y'all can go to purgatory. I'm not going there. I'm going to heaven to be with Jesus. But you couldn't do that yet to see the Father because you hadn't been born again by the blood of Jesus. So those Old Testament saints, it talks about it in the other Gospels. You can just look it up, Abraham's bosom. It was a place called paradise. He mentions it to the thief on the cross. You'll be with me there. And then from paradise, they were brought into heaven where we now go. Verse 46, no one has seen the Father except the one who's from God. Only he has seen the Father. Very truly, I tell you, the one who believes has eternal life. I am the bread of what? The bread of life. Thank you. Your ancestors ate manna in the wilderness, yet they died. Okay, verse 50, but here is the bread that comes down from heaven, which anyone may eat and not die. Just the elect? No, anyone, okay? Verse 51, I am the living bread that came down from heaven. Whoever eats this bread will live forever. This bread is my flesh, which I will give for the life of the world. Can I hear an amen? That is where we have ended in part two. By God's grace, we're going to finish it out. But highlight, please, the bread is my flesh, which I give for the life of the world. Notice once again, going now away from Calvinism to Roman Catholicism, we see that they have to come up with a way that the flesh of Jesus can be everywhere. They then say, oh, well, the glorified body of Jesus could be everywhere. Okay, that makes sense. Well, there's a problem there. If communion is the glorified body of Jesus, it's not the flesh that was given on the cross. The flesh that was given on the cross was Jesus' earthly body. And if you had time today, this week, read the passage in 1 Corinthians 15, 39 through 58, to learn the difference between earthly bodies and glorified bodies. What body do you have right now, saints? Which one are you waiting for? A glorified body. Amen. Now verse 52. Let's go, folks. Let's go. Then the Jews began to argue sharply among themselves. How can this man give us his flesh to eat? So now they're checking in a little bit more. They seem to get what Jesus is saying. They're focused now on the literalism of how he can do this. 
How can this man give us his flesh to eat? Knowing, by the way, in Leviticus, it's against the law to eat blood even from animals, let alone blood from a human and a human's flesh, okay? Out of clean and unclean, you can't eat a human being, amen? That was the son. Even in the new covenant, you can't eat a human being, okay? Now, verse 53, Jesus said to them, Very truly I tell you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has what? Has what? Eternal life, thank you, and I will raise them up at the last day. Now, remember when I told you to remember true bread? Because here's where it messes up some people. Verse 55, for my flesh is real food and my blood is what? Real drink. Now go to the King James, John 6, 55. This is where I di- I'm disappointed in the NIV. I still got them out the NIV, but I want to show you in the King James and most all modern translations what words should be there. John 6, 55. John chapter 6, verse 55 in the King James. Notice what it says here. Where is it here? Um, right here. For my flesh is meat indeed. Does everybody see the word indeed? And my blood is what? Drink indeed. The word indeed literally just means true. It doesn't have to give to you the sense of literalism. It just has to be true. Now go to the ESV, which is the one a little bit here. It's up here. Go all the way to the right. Keep going. Go a little bit more. Right there. Click on it. Yeah, go ahead and click on that. For my flesh is what? True food. Now, the NIV, it's the same Greek word. Go back up to John chapter 6. Go back up here to John chapter 6, verse, I believe it's 30, 32. Who gives you the what bread of heaven? True bread of heaven. Go to verse 32. It said, it's not Moses who gives you the bread from heaven, but my Father gives you the what? True bread. Now, just go over here and just touch it and then touch the word true, and everybody's going to see right here. There's the article. Go over one more here. Let's see here. No, it's skipping the word. Go back one right here. Let's see here. It's not showing you the actual word. It's aletheia. It's truth. Now, even if the Roman Catholic, going back to the notes, please, wants to say, see right here, it says real. It says, and in your NIV, you, know, you notice it right here, it says real, so that means it's real. I go back, I can show them in the Greek, real means true, but even if it's real, I'm going to ask them like this one more time. Is Jesus really the door? Yes, but is he literally a door? No. Is he really our shepherd? Like really, like do you really have a shepherd today? Do you really, really, really have one? Yes, but is he literally one? No. Do you, do you really today take communion and thank God for his body and blood? Yes. But do you literally eat his body and blood? So the same point remains. And I don't like the NIV. That makes it more difficult for you because what they're trying to say here is that it's true and that it's indeed food and drink. What they interpreted it as is now it's literal food and drink. So let's go to Luke chapter 22, verse 19. Luke chapter 22, verse 19, Luke is very clear about how communion was done with Jesus. Jesus at the Last Supper, and it's okay to combine these scriptures, but remember, the Last Supper is not in mind when John is teaching about this. John, if he meant communion, don't you think he would have brought up communion somewhere at this point? But John's gospel does not even include communion. Did you know that? 
His gospel out of the, uh, the four, his is the only one that does not have communion. Brothers, would you please get there for me? Luke chapter 22, starting in verse 19 and onward. Look at, at the Last Supper and how Jesus relates to this. So it's okay to put Scripture with Scripture, but just understand the context that Jesus was in first in John 6. He's teaching about literal body, a literal manna that they ate and still died, and then a spiritual bread that they will eat and never die. Can I hear an amen? Isn't that the context? He's not giving them another kind of physical manna, is he? Because didn't they just eat physical bread and he's rebuking them for that? So he's telling them the true bread is to believe in the one whom God has sent, right? Okay. Now look at Jesus in the, in the gospel of Luke because this is where they want to go. And they want to say, see, it says real. It says real. Well, let's see how Jesus looked at the realness of it. And he took bread, gave thanks and broke it, and gave it to them saying, this is my body given for you. Do this in what? Remembrance of me. Has Jesus' body gone on the cross yet? So how could it even be the real, literal body of Jesus when he's literally the body holding that? It could only be a symbol of what we know he was going to do. Now they may say to us, it says the word real and it doesn't say symbol. See, we have more words on our size. Yes, but it says do this in remembrance of me. So now we both have to define what is real. Real to me means that it's my source of life, not literal. So I can have real bread, but not literal bread. I can have real, a real shepherd, but not a literal shepherd. I can have a real door to heaven and not a door that squeaks and cracks when it opens up. Otherwise, you have two realities going on here, which is really weird. Jesus is saying that the actual bread is his body. Did he just grow another limb in the size of a, in the shape of a piece of bread? That's, see, you want to take a literal, well, let's go there all the way because here is the pre-crucified Jesus pointing to bread going, this is my body. How could that be literal? And then what they do is now they twist it and they go, oh, but this is the spiritual reality that's going to happen later. Oh, so in other words, at least at that point, it was symbolic. Oh, yeah, it was symbolic. Well, guess what? It stayed symbolic, baby. Because they'll admit at this point, yeah, yeah, it hadn't happened yet. And truthfully, he doesn't have his glorified body yet, so he can't be everywhere at the same time yet. yet so, so in this way, what you're saying is that it's symbolic. Yes, well, that's where we're staying. Because we're doing it in remembrance of him. The disciples didn't take the bread, start eating it, and say, now pass me your arm, Jesus. I get the leg. Who wants the gizzards of Jesus? I know it sounds gross, but y'all the ones, you know, I say to the Catholics, you're the one that made it like this. They're like, don't mock my beliefs and all this and that. Listen to me. I respect every person, but not their beliefs. Are you all listening to me? I love my kids, but I don't love their wrong answers. <laughs> Amen. I love the fool, but I hate the folly. So you're the one, the Catholic brings us into a weird world where we're trying to explain how Jesus can give a literal body, and yet that literal body is sitting there right in front of them. Obviously, it's not his literal body. What is happening here is something being done in remembrance. When they had the Passover lamb, how many know they weren't eating Jesus back then? Because if it can work in the new covenant, why wasn't it working in the old covenant? I mean, see, I can ask a whole lot of questions. Just like when they tell me, well, we pray with each other. Why can't we pray with saints? Well, I also play soccer with my brother. Can I play soccer with a saint? You see, you just take their argument to the place of ridiculousness and you show them how it doesn't work. But, that, but see, they'll start in a place where you're kind of like, oh, that makes sense. I prayed with Augustine today. Well, why not pray with St. Anthony? 
Well, I played soccer today with Augustine. Why not play soccer with St. Anthony? Oh, it, oh, well, now you're mocking us. No, you're the one that brought it to stupidity. I'm just helping you. It doesn't say in the Bible that we pray to anybody other than Jesus. Amen? Other to the Father, through the Son, by the power of the Holy Spirit. And now it's the same thing. Well, what are you mocking us for? They tell me, they say, get upset. I'm not mocking. You're the one that told me it's his little body and blood. How is he holding it in his hand? He can't. He must be meaning something other than that. Don't let religion make a fool out of you. Amen? Not from me or anybody else. Going back to the notes. Thank you, Jesus. Going back to the notes now. This is real bread. It's real drink. I think the proper translation should be food indeed, drink indeed, or true food, or true drink, just like he's a true shepherd, just like he's a true door, just like he's a true morning star, and we know he's not a star. Amen, somebody. If you're going to wish upon a star, pray to Jesus. Amen. Verse 56, whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood remains in me and I in them. Just as the living Father sent me and I live because of the Father, so the one who feeds on me will live because of me. Do you feed on communion? No, you get to eat it just like once. But is that feeding? Have you all ever fed animals? Do you all just give them a little bit of water and one little doggy thing? Eat, eat this little doggy nugget that one. How many know when dogs eat, they eat? How many know when you eat, you eat? You feed. Are you feeding on that communion? Let's be honest. No, you're not. So whatever Jesus is saying as the bread, as the wine, we're going to be feeding on it. We're going to be consuming it. And it's not going to be literal. It's going to be spiritual because once we get it, we'll never go hungry again. Amen. This is the bread that came down from heaven. Your ancestors ate manna and died. But whoever feeds, hallelujah, in the morning, noon, and night, whoever feeds on this bread will live forever. Are you ready to know what that bread is? Look at Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 3. It was in the context the whole time. He told them about manna because they were asking about manna. But all they had to do was go back to where that story had happened to those people and the revelation he gave them, and they would understand exactly what he was saying. Brothers in the back, please stay up with me. Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 3. This is what he meant. How do I know it's in the context of what he was talking about? Look at what it says in verse 3. Well, we'll start in verse 1 so everybody can get it. Go up to verse 1, please. Lauren, would you go back there and help them? Thank you. Be careful to follow every command I'm giving you today. Be careful to follow what? Every command so that you may live and increase and may enter and possess the land promised on oath to your ancestors that the Lord promised. How many know he promised? Amen. Now look at verse 2. Remember how the Lord your God led you all the way in the wilderness these 40 years to humble and test you in order that you would know what was in your heart, okay, that you would know what was in the heart, whether or not you would keep his commands. Now look at this, verse 3. He humbled you, causing you to hunger, and then, Lord, stay back there, please. He caused you to hunger, then feeding you with manna, which neither you nor your ancestors had known, to do what? Highlight this, please, to teach. Somebody say to teach. To teach you that man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. What did the Bible say in John chapter 1, verse 1? In the beginning was the word, 
and the Word was with God. What is Jesus talking about getting full on? The Word of God. And it comes through His flesh. It comes through His blood. And the Word of God is living and it is active. And you will live on it and feed on it every day. Hallelujah. It will nourish your soul. How many got the daily bread today? Woo! Get the daily bread and those little pamphlets called the daily bread. But get it in the Word. That's what he was saying from the beginning. And he did it for everybody. It wasn't just for the chosen few. It wasn't just for the elect. It was for all whom our Lord God would call. All those he placed upon this earth. Get you the Word. That's why when Jesus was tempted, he was hungry. Did he make manna? No, that's what the devil was telling him to do. Did he make communion? No, he says, man does not live on bread alone, but every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. Going back to our notes, please. That's what he was telling them the whole time. This didn't have anything to do with communion. Communion can be uh, compared to this later on, but his point at this juncture was to teach them that he, in his person, in his nature, is the bread, the word of life. And he'll conclude with that just a moment. But the preacher had to preach. Amen. Hallelujah. He said this while teaching in the synagogue in Capernaum. Now on hearing this, many of his disciples said, this is a hard teaching. Who can accept it? Because they didn't always check in either. They're confused. Jesus, are we cannibals? Are we going to start eating you? Did they understand it? No. Did they even understand Jesus in the cross? No, that's why Jesus had to tell Peter, get behind me, Satan. They didn't get it. They didn't get it till even afterwards. I mean, first of all, even after the resurrection, they're still thinking right now you're going to set up the kingdom. He goes, boys, get back to praying. i got to send you the Holy Ghost because we got to have more people in heaven than just you few. we got to go around the world. Amen? So it took them time. They didn't get it, but he's patient with them. Verse 61, aware that his disciples were grumbling about this, Jesus said to them, does this offend you? Then what if you see the Son of Man ascend to where he was? You think this is Son? Wait till you see me float on clouds, okay? But now look at Now he explains what I just showed you in Deuteronomy. The Spirit gives The baker gives life? The one who bakes the bread? The, the gardener? The one who makes the wine? No, the Spirit gives life. The flesh, your teeth, your stomach, what you chew on counts for nothing. The words. Come on, what does he say? The words. One more time. The words. Hallelujah. I've spoken to you. They are full of the spirit and life. Get you some of that. Have second and thirds. Throw that word on the Barbie, baby. Put some salzone on that. They are full of the spirit and of light. Life, you don't need to worry about gluten intake with this. You can have as much bread as you want of the Spirit. You don't got to worry about getting drunk because, oh, I need more of Jesus. I'm getting drunk off communion wine. No, the Bible says don't get drunk off wine, but be filled with the Spirit. That's what we're talking about here. That's what Jesus was saying the whole time. Now look at it. He rebukes them. He says, yet there are some of you who don't believe. See, there were people that even after Jesus said the explanation, you don't, you don't have a reason to be offended anymore. I've told you the explanation. I've given you everything you need, but there's some of you who still don't believe. You see, at that point, everybody get this, because this goes back to what people would talk about, the primitive people. It doesn't matter whether it's primitive people, church kids, or people right in front of Jesus seeing the whole thing. The heart wants what the heart wants. 
That's why I don't feel sorry for any sinner, whether it was what was supposedly a primitive sinner, you know, out there in, in, in Europe before the missionaries reached them and, and you know, and the, the Saxons and the... I don't feel sorry for any sinner. I don't feel sorry for a church kid sinner. I love them. I want the best for them. But listen, every sinner will go to hell based on their own desire to want to reject the God of the Bible and to believe something other than what he said. Because he said, I know I have told you all of the, I mean, the whole explanation was given to you, yet you don't believe. And then isn't that what he told him was the works of God? He said, don't work for food that can spoil. He said, work for the food that never goes bad and will give you eternal life. Well, what is that work, Jesus? It's to believe on the one whom God sent. And he's saying, yet there's some of you that still don't believe. Judas is going to be some of those guys, you know, in that number that's going to backslide. And then we keep going here. It says, for Jesus had known from the beginning which of them did not believe and who would betray him. Verse 65, he went on to say, that's why I've told you, no one can come to me unless the Father has enabled them. And once again, we say an amen to that. Amen? God has to enable us. We don't do it on our own. So who, who, who enables us first? God does. Or who calls us first? I didn't call up God first. He called on me and I picked up. Chilo, you know? I, I didn't have his number, but he had mine. Amen? And then now what can I do? I can call him up, call him up, tell him what you want, call him up. See, I can call up Jesus now. But I couldn't call him up before. He had to call me first. So I agree with him, but I believe he's calling up everybody. So Jesus on that main line, tell him what you want. So now he's here. Pick up. Pick up. You better pick up that phone because time is running short. Amen. Don't get caught up in the theology. Pick up the phone to Jesus today because he's the bread of life. You'll get, you'll, you'll get lost and go to hell if you don't pick up the phone. So the Father, he enables those that can come, and we agree with that. And who is the Father enabling, even according to this passage, those who learn from him, those who believe and look to Jesus? That's who he enables. One of the saddest verses in the Bible, as I ask um, Lawrence to come to the keys, please. John 6 Verse 66. Does anybody see something in there? John 6, verse what? 66. What does that, what does that uh, give us? 666. Okay. From this time, many of his disciples turned back and no longer followed him. What more could he have done for them? I mean, he took them back to the Old Testament. He explained who he was. He wasn't lying. He was never blaspheming. He is the son of God. He shows them in the passage that, man, this is the bread of life. They should have known Deuteronomy was pointing to the words of God, and yet they still got offended. This shows me that people will purposely misunderstand us so that they can remain in offense. So what are you telling me? The LGBT are all going to hell? That's not what I'm saying. Where did you hear that? We just told you, and we got it on our shirts, that God so loved the world. It doesn't matter if you're LGBT. It doesn't matter if you're Muslim. Well, what about the people who have never heard about the gospel? They're going to hell. Have you not heard? He loves the whole world. I'm not their judge, but the God of heaven and earth is a good judge. He knows what they know and what they don't know. They, you see, people will stay offended with us. They, they, they want a reason to walk away because they know in their heart of hearts what Jesus is really asking them to do. What was he really asking these folks to do? To follow his word. To do just what he had asked those Jews to do in Deuteronomy. I brought you to the desert that I could test you so that you would know what was in your heart and that you would know you don't live by bread alone, but every word that I give you. 
He's just testing us to see what we really want. And I know this may seem unfair, and it is a, you know, a right question to ask. Well, I didn't ask to be in a test. That is true. You didn't ask, but you're here now. You're not your creator. You're not your, so you are here now. That is true. You didn't ask to be here. God did put you here. But I would ask you now to humble yourself, to say, Lord, I, I didn't ask to be here, but I'm here now. I'm in existence. Show me your word. Show me that word that fills my soul till I hunger no more. I don't have a hunger for spiritual things outside of Jesus. How many know Jesus has met the longing of your soul? He has filled the hunger of your inner person. All you do is just feed on him now. Amen? How many know when you look at tarot cards, uh, you know, in the horoscopes, you feel sorry for him? Amen? They don't feed on what you feed on. I, you don't have what I have if you don't have Jesus. If you have Jesus, then you know what I'm talking about. There is nothing like being able to wake up in the morning and go to your word and have your soul be filled. There is nothing like coming into his presence, letting the spirit be like sweet wine and heal things in your mind that you never could figure out. There are times and places in my life where I can point to and I could say, this was the word of God. This was the word of God. It wasn't the word of man. It wasn't what my mom said. It wasn't what my dad said. It wasn't what the preacher said. It was the word of God. Joe, how did you get off drugs? One step, not 12 steps. It was the word of God. I kept feeding on Jesus. I got high on the most high. Joe, how'd you, how'd you stop having sex before marriage? How'd you get free from pornography? I just kept drinking the wine of the Spirit. I just kept going back to worship. Oh, saying you are so good, God. There's nobody like you. I worship you. I adore you. I lift you up above my own wants and needs and my physical desires. The wine of the Spirit brought me through. Is there anybody here that can point to places in your life and say it was the word of God? It was the wine of his spirit. Would everyone stand up with me, please? Because if you're here today and you haven't related to that, I want to ask you this question, just like Jesus did. Do you want to go too? Because out there in the world, there's nothing out there anymore for you. But I got to be honest, are, are you done searching? Because if you want to go to another club, you want to go to another drink, you want to go to another bed, you can. And that's what Jesus asked them. Do you all want to go too? Because I see a lot of people leaving. He said he asked the 12. But I love what Simon Peter said in verse 68. Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the communion of eternal life? No, no, you have the what? The words. You have the words. Jesus of eternal life. One word can save you a hundred hours on a counselor's couch. I got nothing against counselors, but I'm telling you one word from the Lord can bring you back your mind in Prozac camp. There are some of you that are dealing with things that Prozac can't help you anymore. It can only get you to slow down, but that hasn't brought you freedom yet. Peter said, Lord, you have the words of eternal life. We have come to believe and to know. You get to a place in your life where you go from just believing to knowing. I know this is true. I know who I serve. I know he's a good God and that you are the Holy One of God. 
And then Jesus said, didn't I try choose 12 of you and one of you is a devil? <laughs> God put that little rebuke on there. He meant Judas. John, just tell him in case we missed it. He meant Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, who, though one of the 12, was later to betray him. Don't betray Jesus today. Don't be a Judas. Don't turn your back on him. His words, I'm going to be honest with you, they may cut you sometimes. But thank God for those cuts. Thank God for those wounds that come from it because those wounds will heal. You know, a surgeon cuts. Does a surgeon cut? Yeah, but, and it creates a wound, right? But what? It's for your benefit. You know, you got to let God's word cut some stuff open in you today. You got to let him go in there and operate on you. Because if you don't, you're going to be carrying that cancer around. And and I'll even say this about Judas. I don't even think he knew yet that he was a son of the devil. I don't even think he knew how far his own temptation was going to deceive him. But Jesus knew. Jesus knew the path that he was on. And you could see even in the midst of this, he's reaching out to him. And I'm asking you today, if you have not chose Jesus, come to him now and feed on the words that he has. Drink from the wine of his spirit. Band and altar workers, would you come please? I'm so thankful, Father. Let's just pray. Father, I'm so thankful. If you're already saved, will you thank him? Father, I'm thankful that you sent us the real bread of heaven. Father, I thank you for Jesus today. I thank you that you called all of us. You didn't just predestine some of us. You called all of us. And now that Jesus be lifted up, you're drawing even our friends and our neighbors to you. As I begin to pray right now, would you look at your heart and see if you're right with the God of the Bible? Are you feeding on Jesus? If you're not today, would you repent of your sins? Just say, Father, forgive me, and then ask Jesus to be the Lord of your life and start feeding on him today. Come on, whether you're praising God or repentant of sin right now, let's begin to pray before we leave. Father, we love you. We're so honored to be in this place with you. We ask that no one will leave the same way they came. Now, if you would say, I'm already a Christian pastor, but it really strikes at my heart when you say that the word's going to cut and do surgery on me, separate bone from marrow, thoughts and intentions. I want you to be ready to come forward because we want the word of God to set you free today. When you know the truth, the truth will set you free. Because there are some Christians here today, I know you're living in sin, you're living in doubt, you're living in this, you know, this, this uh, rat race of sin, a continuation of a broken record, and Jesus wants to set you free. That's no way for a king's kid to live. So as we get ready to dismiss, whether you just want to come and accept Christ, or you want to get some junk out of the trunk, would you please come up? And you can even do so now, but make sure you don't leave the same way you came, because the Word of God is here. Jesus is here. His spirit is here. And it brings life. Let's sing a worship song in closing and then we'll dismiss. Father, do it. And you can even begin to come now. They're going to start worshiping. We'll dismiss in just a few moments. But let's go back to acknowledging who he is. That there's nobody like Jesus. And I pray if you're going through a trial or a test today, may the word of the Lord bring you deliverance you need prayer through deliverance if you need a deliverance prayer come on up no matter what you're going through before we dismiss come on up God you're able we'll never be the same again
I will make new. Okay. All right. Let's sing this before we go. If we got the words, come on and put it up. This is an oldie but goodie, I guess. I miss this track, but I want to read it with you and sing it. Come on. I'll make room for you, Jesus. That makes sense to me, Lord. I'm going to push out the things of my life to do whatever you want to do. Somebody sing it out today. Let the word of the Lord wash over you. Even if you don't know this song, learn it with us. Let the Lord set you free today.